Hey everybody, this is Ian Reed Twist, the pastor at Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi. Welcome to the podcast. Today's episode was preached on July 7th on uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 1 through 20. And as usual, we will read that passage first and then get on to the sermon. Hope you enjoy it. A reading from Luke. The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, Eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. I've got to say, I've never heard anybody invoke this verse in a way that advanced the love equity, healing, and inclusion that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. In fact, the use of it most prominent in my memory occurred many years ago before I became a minister in a church that had experienced quite a lot of upheaval. We had an interim priest with the thankless job of following a long-serving, much-beloved rector who had been suddenly and spectacularly removed for clergy misbehavior. Not surprisingly, our parish burned through that interim and the assistant that he'd hired pretty quickly. The assistant went first, and on her way out, she stated publicly that she was wiping the dust off of her feet. Yeah. Some sentiments are better left thought than spoken. And you know, I've been thinking 
in the two decades since that happened, the trend of cutting people off has only grown in the culture around us, especially as our communication has moved into digital formats and our politics have pulled us further apart. People kicking people off of online chat groups, defriending people on Facebook, ghosting people by text. I long ago stopped reading the discussion threads on news articles because they were nothing more than name calling and dismissal. We're wiping so much dust off of our feet these days that we've forgotten how to hang in there with people we don't like or disagree with, how to give and take, how to get a little dirty. And yet, Jesus does say it here, plain as day. If the town you enter does not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Pretty harsh, no? Pretty strong justification to defriend, ghost, flame, unfollow, kick off, shut down, or otherwise stop talking to. Maybe. No? You're ahead of me. Because, you know, Jesus does add this second line that his followers are supposed to proclaim as well. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. After this conflicted interaction, I wipe off the dust in protest against the way you're treating me, yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. To my ear, that's a statement that leaves open the door to something else. A change of heart, a loosening of positions, a transformation even from enmity to love. It's a fine line to walk. On the one hand, Jesus seems to be saying, don't coddle oppressors with false reassurances. Don't withhold on speaking the truth as you see it, even a truth that may hurt before it heals. On the other hand, don't cut people off either. Proclaim the gospel and love your enemy. Wipe off the dust and keep open the door to the kingdom. It's nearer than you think. Easy to say, hard to do. But I'm reminded of this amazing story that I heard on this podcast I listen to sometimes called Radiolab. Anybody listen to Radiolab? Yeah, a couple folks. Um, it's a story about this Jewish man named Charles Bliss who survived the horrors of the concentration camps Buchenwald and Dachau in World War II. And during that time, he started thinking about language and how the Nazis manipulated it using metaphors and euphemisms to justify and cover up what they were really doing. And so afterwards, Bliss developed a universal written language system made of symbols designed only to have direct meaning, to bypass that 
indirection and euphemism that created so many problems in his mind. He spent all his savings to print this new language he called Bliss Symbolics in a book, and he sent it out to like 6,000 people all over the world in governments and in universities. I mean, he really thought he had the key to keeping us out of wars, and he waited, and nobody was interested. And after a while, he gave up on the project and went to work in a factory to make ends meet. Well, years later, a nurse named Shirley McNaughton, who worked in a Canadian center for children with cerebral palsy, came across Bliss's book. Now, at the time, experts believed that people with CP were severely cognitively impaired, but Shirley thought that the real issue was motor coordination. It wasn't that there wasn't brilliance inside, it was the ability to express it. She and her staff used this bliss symbolics to fashion this huge chart with all these symbols for words on it, adding their own verbs and adjectives and nouns. And sure enough, the system unlocked this miraculous explosion of communication in the center. The kids not only learned how to form sentences, which they had not been able to do before, but they started actively improvising and creating new meanings all on their own. For the first time, McNaughton said, she really started to get to know the children. Who were the followers? Who were the leaders? Who wanted to help others in the classroom? Before long, she had launched this little shoestring budget international organization to promote this incredible tool, and centers in countries all over the world started adopting and adapting it to their own context. Bliss was into his 70s at this point, and he got a letter from her telling him about what she, she was doing. And initially, he was just elated. You know, this thing had found life out there. But then he began to get upset at how McNaughton and others were changing what he had designed. Many centers were using bliss symbolics not as a language in and of itself, but as a stepping stone to move kids actually into full literacy in their own languages, and thus bringing them back into the very use of metaphors and figurative language that in Bliss's mind had led to the Nazi atrocities in the first place. So he started harassing McNaughton's center, sending her and her staff angry letters, suing them for misusing what he had created, and when that didn't work, attacking them in any forum where he could find a public audience. This went on for years, and after about a decade of it, McNaughton's little program run out of the basement of the Ontario Children's Center settled with Bliss for $160,000. This is in the 80s. By then, though, Bliss had created such a toxic environment that his system never gained much widespread use. He had essentially killed 
the gift he had given to the world. But here's the thing. As all this was going down, McNaughton refused to write Bliss off. Even in the middle of these rancorous, day-long meetings with lawyers, she would go to lunch with him. At the end of the day, she'd accompany him back to his hotel room and put his drops, his medicine, in his ear for him. He was in his mid-80s at this point. She didn't stop fighting to do what was right for her kids, but she continued to honor Bliss for having created something truly unique and useful in the world. And even long after his death, she said his system made her think about language differently. She called it poetry in its purest form. She said that in her retirement, she'd been working with stained glass. And you can take the symbols, this is a direct quote, you can take the symbols and put them into one composite and they say things that only art can say. It's beautiful, she said. They transmit a meaning that is beyond any words. I don't know how you can get to that place that this ordinary nurse found, despite being so viciously attacked. That place of holding open a chance for reconciliation, even for relationship in the midst of conflict. But Shirley McNaughton showed that it can be done. And if more of us take inspiration from her example, maybe we too can learn to wipe the dust off of our sandals in protest, even as we proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. Amen. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. And if you want more information about me or the church, you can always go to our website, holycrossnovi, that's N-O-V-I dot org. And in the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can find more sermons as we publish them in the same place you found this one. Take care. <laughs>